And now for something completely different. Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. And good morning and welcome to the Tuesday edition of The Real Investment Show. I'm your host, Lance Roberts. Thanks for joining us this morning. So, a couple of things. Yesterday, capitulation pretty evident in the market uh, as uh, investors just basically dump shares hand over fish yesterday. Uh, this was really kind of very evident in particularly those shares that retail investors have been, you know, chasing over the last couple of years. The, you know, the ARC type uh, investments, the Pelotons, the, um, the, the, Ro- the Roblox, et cetera. Those under a lot of pressure yesterday in particular. In fact, uh, we had more outflows in terms of retail selling. It was one of the top five days of kind of retail selling that we've seen over the past history. So, uh, again, yesterday, a very, a very tough day in markets, but also very indicative of kind of that capitulatory action that you normally see, at least near short-term market bottoms. Now, markets are, are set to open up a little bit this morning. It's not a very convincing reflex rally this morning at all. So, again, you know, this is going to be one of those opportunities. You've got to kind of evaluate where you are. Um, a lot of things broke support levels yesterday, broke stop levels on the S&P as an example. 4,000 was kind of that line in the sand for the S&P. Broke that yesterday, uh, closing below that. Now, again, today the market needs to get back above 4,000 in order to keep that support intact. But again, we're, you know, we're in a very tentative position for the markets. Uh, from a technical perspective, as we discussed yesterday, markets are now well into three standard deviation territory below the moving average. Again, just, you know, uh, all that means is markets have sold off a tremendous amount here. We're currently trading about 11% below the 200-day moving average. That, this is kind of an interesting statement to say that, too, because it was just this time last year that we were writing articles talking about the length of time that the market had been trading above the 200-day moving average. We were writing articles talking about the the big deviation above the 200-day moving average and that eventually that was going to have to correct itself because in order to have an average like the 200-day moving average, prices have to trade both above and below that average over a period of time. Well, here we are a year later talking about the S&P trading 11% below that moving average. And that's a fairly big deviation. So again, you know, we've talked about before this idea of the rubber band. Last year, rubber band stretched well above the market. Today, well below the market. And, and as physics will tell you that ultimately what has to happen is that prices will move and gravitate back towards that center point, that median, that average. And that's what will ultimately happen here. Now, not necessarily today, but this is where investors tend to start making a lot of mistakes, as we discussed a little bit yesterday. This is that kind of that panic moment. Yesterday, lots of panic in the market, evident really pretty much across the board. There was not a lot of safe haven yesterday at all. Uh, energy stocks, which have had a huge advantage over the S&P this year, got a brutal beating yesterday. Stocks like ExxonMobil, Marathon, others down 8, 9, 10, 11% in a day. Biggest declines that we've seen in these stocks, you know, over the last several months. But this is this also kind of smelt like a, a, a lot of margin calls finally coming in because 
What happens during a margin call is that investors go out long on margin, right? So they're borrowing money to buy more stock. And when prices start to decline, they start getting what's called a margin call. And so they start selling all the stuff they don't want, stuff they've got losses in to cover that margin call, but they keep holding on to their winners because that's kind of helping support the account. Well, when you get to the point that margin calls really kick in, eventually uh, retail investors just go, I've got to sell my good stuff now. And that's kind of what that felt like yesterday. I'm not saying that's exactly the case, but it had that feel where investors were just dumping anything yesterday in order to raise some cash. And particularly as algorithms kicked in and we broke below that 4,000 level on the S&P, that was really where that selling kind of exacerbated itself. But, but again, markets are very oversold on multiple levels. And you know, we've been talking about this kind of ad nauseum over the last two weeks, and I apologize for that, but markets remain exceptionally oversold here. Again, very deviated from long-term moving averages, very deep into oversold territory. You know, this is the type of setup here where you get this kind of uh, this reflexive rally and that's what you want to use to sell into it. Now, and don't forget the selling part, right? Because, you know, right now, a lot of individuals wanting to sell here because we're, you know, the markets just don't seem to want to go up. They just want to keep going down. And that's where that emotional pull comes in and says, okay, you know, I just, I got to sell everything. I got to get out of the way. But that's generally when you get some type of little bounce here. And again, but then don't, don't start falling into the trap where now the market's rallying and I'm just going to keep holding on and let it rally more. And when I get back to even, I'll sell. Don't do that because we're not going to get back to even. It's going to be a rally up here potentially and another at least retest of lows, if not setting new lows later this year as the Fed continues to tighten monetary policy. And, and that's kind of the big thing here. Financial conditions are now extremely tight. And this is normally at the level, we take a look at financial conditions. Financial conditions are at levels that normally the Fed is becoming more dovish. But yet now we've got a Fed that has very tight, the market's already done the work for them. The market's already tightened up financial conditions to a large degree. And now the Fed's continuing to hike rates and talking about reversing QE and doing, doing quantitative tightening. That's going to potentially exacerbate the situation in the markets as we get further out into this year. So again, any rally that you get here, use that rally to raise some cash, rebalance risk, those type of things. Now, yesterday, we can, as I said, you know, lots of selling yesterday. This has been a very defined downtrend in the markets. Really, ever since the beginning of this year, there's a very defined channel, but particularly this channel is very evident here in this recent sell-off. And we're holding that channel right now haven't broken down below that. And again, just kind of this other kind of idea that we may get a little bit of a lift today, maybe to about, you know, you know 4,100 on the S&P, somewhere around there over the next couple of days. Use that rally as an opportunity to sell into because again, it's just the point that these markets are very volatile and these more volatile markets are leading to more emotional distress by investors and they're starting to make those those kind of same emotional mistakes that we always tend to make right at market lows and again i'm not saying that we're at the bottom by any stretch of the imagination but we are probably at a short-term low that gives you an opportunity to rebounce risk doesn't mean that volatility is going away Certainly doesn't mean that we're out of the woods just yet, but I'm not saying that at all. But again, what you want to try to do is minimize mistakes 
of selling lows and then trying to figure out how to get back in as markets are starting to rally to the next correction. And that's generally what really happens to a lot of investors during bear markets. Um, okay, when we come back from the break, uh, a couple of things we've got to get into this morning. We've got to talk about the inflation number that's going to come out tomorrow. Lots of, you know, the market's really trying to price in here a, a lot of inflation. And this idea that we're going to have just, you know, can, that's kind of this continued push of inflation going forward. That may be the case, but there's some evidence that suggests that maybe, just maybe, we might see a little bit softer inflation data here over the next couple of months. And that's also something that may put the Fed into a bit of a bind in terms of hiking monetary policy, particularly if inflation does start to show some weakness, that's gonna make these financial conditions that are already tight a little bit more difficult for the Fed to navigate. So when we come back from the, the, the break, we'll kind of get into the inflation data. Got some other stuff to get into this morning as well about you and your money. Get by the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. Things are so bearish out right now, they're bullish. That's today's article on the website now, realinvestmentadvice.com. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. How do the richest people of the world invest and protect their families? Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff's next virtual lunch and learn on the truth about life insurance will show you how to insure your income, minimize your taxes, and protect your real estate. Thursday, May 12th at noon. The most important insurance policy you'll ever own is the one you'll have when you die. Register now for the truth about life insurance lunch and learn at realinvestmentadvice.com. The truth about life insurance with Ratliff and Rosso. Real Investment advice.com the real investment show so uh yesterday i was doing an interview with charles Payne on fox business uh in the afternoon and he was discussing this idea of a recent comment by the White House talking about inflation. And, you know, they're trying to figure out some way to combat inflation, right? So we tried to release the strategic reserves of, of the strategic petroleum reserves to lower gas prices. That didn't work. Um, and so now, of course, they're talking about potentially trying to help Americans out with inflation. And this is really kind of crazy because the reason that we have inflation is because we gave money to individuals to go out and spend. We were trying to help them. You know, we shut down the, the economy so they couldn't work. So then we go send them money um, and then we, you know, tell them, don't worry about paying your rent. Don't worry about paying your mortgage. You know, those type of things. Don't worry about paying your student loan debt back. It's fine. So everybody had a whole lot of excess cash to spend. They run out and spend it and you get inflation. And now everybody's upset about inflation. But this is just the payback for the free money that you got in 2020, 2021, right? So, I mean, there's, there's no free lunch, right? As much as we would like to think that money is free, money isn't free. It just depends on how you wind up paying the tax for it. Either you earn it and pay your taxes or you get it for free and pay your taxes through inflation. 
and this is the this is the whole problem with the ideas of socialism and you know modern monetary theory and all this type of stuff great example of that was you know modern monetary theory is like oh well you know we can just send money to people and it's fine and if there's ever inflation well we'll just raise taxes and and do these other things of course nobody ever does that so now we have a, a problem with this inflation measure and the only solution that the white house has to combat inflation is to do more of what created the inflation to start with sounds like a great plan but for politicians it's really not about inflation it's about getting votes right and so what they what they did realize during the pandemic was sending free money to people garnered them a lot of favor they liked that idea made them popular uh, government's giving me money this is awesome so that's their go-to plan now right their go-to plan is to send money they, they really don't care about your inflation problem you know you're you're the poor so whatever happens to you is really not their problem they're dealing with rich people right so that's all they care about they're in they're in the the wealthy elite class and and inflation really doesn't bother them all that much right it's more just the function that y'all don't show up with pitchforks and, and torches and cut their heads off right i mean that's what they're worried about is is the ultimate revolt so they talk a great game about you know solving your inflation problem but they really don't care about your inflation problem at all Right. This is about maintaining power and control. And that's why, again, their go to method is not a function of actually fixing the inflation problem, which is very easy to do. Do nothing. Inflation will cure itself because high prices will cure high prices eventually. It's not we didn't get here overnight. We're not going to solve it overnight. But this is this is the issue that comes along. But. And we're about to see, potentially, some of that action actually take place probably on Wednesday. As we've talked about before, when you talk about inflation, we measure inflation on a year-over-year -year basis. So now we're going to be looking at the month of April and comparing the month of April in terms of price increases to where we were in April of 2021, where inflation was really just starting to take off. So now we've got a little bit tougher comparison between this April and last April than we had between March and March of last year. So just from the strictly mathematical standpoint, it's very likely that we will see a, a minimal increase in inflation this month. However, over the last couple of months, some other things have happened. Oil prices have come off $130 a barrel. So oil prices are down. House prices are declining. The Mannheim used car index is showing a big contraction in prices because people simply, A, can't afford to buy the car or just there's no cars to sell. But the, price, the prices are starting to come down. They got, they got very elevated and to the point that demand started to slip. And so now prices are coming down to find demand. This is all going to start to feed into this inflation metric that we're comparing to. And as we go forward each month, when we get to May, June, July, August, the year-over-year -year comparisons are about to become much more challenging. So it is very likely on Wednesday 
that we could potentially see a slightly softer inflation report. Now, I'm not saying it's an absolute guarantee. There's a lot of funny math that goes on with how we calculate inflation. But it is possible because of some of the things that are happening that, you know, right now it's estimated that CPI will rise by about 0.3, could come in at 0.2.1, could see the core maybe at flat, right? Now, again, that doesn't mean a whole lot to anybody. It doesn't mean that your gas got cheaper at the pump. It doesn't mean that your food got cheaper at the store. It doesn't mean that you know the, the one-third full bag of potato chips is now back to half a bag full when you buy it. it doesn't mean any of that. It just means that the year-over-year comparisons are becoming more challenging. And as we talked about a second ago, this is the Fed's conundrum. The Fed has got to raise rates to get off of zero before we get to the next recession. So their only one good tool at combating recessions is lowering rates to zero. They're at 75 basis points. They need to get to one and a half or, or, or two, potentially just to have some room to lower rates back to zero it, when, it's not a function of if, but when we get into the next recession, either later this year or next year. The problem, though, is that financial conditions are already very tight relative to where they are in terms of hiking policy. Markets are declining. In fact, right now, the NASDAQ drawdown is as big as it was, well, almost as big as it was back in March of 2020 when the Fed was reversing course and starting to bail out markets. The S&P is at a level that's very consistent with 2018 where the market was uh, where the Fed was reversing course and talking about, oh, we're, we're now at the neutral rate magically. We got there overnight and um, yeah, we're not going to be you know hiking rates or tightening the balance sheet anymore. So we're to that point in terms of the financial markets where the, the Federal Reserve has become more dovish than hawkish. But right now, they're still talking a very hawkish game as, you know, we get we just passed the one meeting where they just hiked 50 basis points. Now, they did note that they will not hike 75 basis points. And, you know, I think there's a reasonable possibility we may have them hike maybe 50 basis points at this next meeting and then start talking about 25 basis points hikes after that. We'll see. But this is, you know, this is where the Fed is, is really getting to a box because the economy is doing the work for them. Interest rates on the 10-year Treasury rate have gone up. Financial markets are, are correcting. Valuations are coming down. Uh, there's a lot of stress in the housing market, as an example. We're starting to see used car prices contract. Take a look at some of the ISM manufacturing indexes as well as service indexes. Those are all starting to correct as well. And we're starting to see weakness across the board, all suggesting that the economy is becoming much weaker and the Fed is trying to maintain a hawkish position. Again, I don't think it lasts long. So the important thing here as, as, as investors is, again, once we go back to talking about where we are in the markets, yesterday certainly looked like a lot of capitulatory selling yesterday. Lots of panic. I got lots of panicked emails yesterday. And really kind of starting to, to, to come to that realization that something's not quite right in the markets. Maybe this time is different. And, you know, that kind of, of bearish sentiment is now starting to really increase across the board. That's a good thing, you know, from washing markets out to get a better buying opportunity. 
But it's also the point to where investors tend to start making mistakes. And, and the Fed is getting into a really tough position here, again, in terms of trying to navigate the markets without creating some type of financial instability. And that's really the question that we get down to, which is ultimately that financial stability, instability question. At what point, with the markets where they are right now, and the Fed keeps hiking interest rates and keeps tightening monetary policy, do they create some type of relapse in the financial markets that creates that moment to where there is a risk of a credit event of some sort, whether it's more, you know, mortgages or, or leverage loans or, you know, We've got a, a tremendous number of companies in the Russell 2000 that are what we call zombie companies. They are existing on, on debt issuance, and they need very low levels of interest rates in order to sustain their debt issuance and, and be able to, to maintain payments, right, just to stay alive. And there, there's a lot of those companies. So we could see a rash of companies potentially starting to infect the markets because of an inability to refinance their debt at levels that they can sustain. And this potentially puts a whole lot of the rest of the market at risk. And the Federal Reserve, which is focused ultimately on financial stability, that is one of their key, their key things. Is it's not just full employment, it's not just inflation, it is also financial stability. And to the point that if any of their member banks start getting into trouble, they will come to the rescue. Just a function of time. Be right back after the break. Talk about it's getting so bearish out there, it's almost bullish. Talk about that when we come back from the break. Don't go away. advice blog it's required reading for the informed investor catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com how do the richest people of the world invest and protect their families richard rosso and danny ratliff's next virtual lunch and learn on the truth about life insurance will show you how to ensure your income minimize your taxes and protect your real estate thursday may 12th at noon the most important insurance policy you'll ever own is the one you'll have when you die register now for the truth about life insurance lunch and learn at realinvestmentadvice.com the truth about life insurance with ratliff and rosso realinvestmentadvice.com. You're listening to The Real Investment Show. And welcome back to the show this morning. I'm your host, Lance Roberts. So, a couple of things. Article out today on the website is titled, uh, It's So Bearish, It's Almost Bullish, talking about sentiment. And 
you know, this is kind of an interesting, you know, kind of issue where we are right now. And, and, you know, just during the break, I was kind of looking at some of our YouTube chat comments as well. And one of the one of the things that popped up is we were talking about the, you know, how how stretched the market is to the downside. And we use the rubber band analogy quite often to talk about that because, you know, over time, the way markets work is that in order to have a moving average, prices have to trade above and below that moving average. And and just like a rubber band, what physics says is that if you stretch rubber band as far as you can in one direction and let it go, it will snap back on the first reflex an equal distance in the opposite direction before it settles back to the middle. That's essentially the way moving averages work. And like I said, last year, this time we were talking about the S&P being 12, 13, 14% above the NASDAQ, sorry, above the 200-day moving average. Today, we're talking about being 11% below the moving average. So very normal. What's going on in the markets, it feels terrible, right? Feels terrible. No doubt about it. Uh, creates a lot of angst. But it's very normal. Volatility this year, as we talked about last year, we wrote articles talking about the fact that, you know, when we had a correction like this, that it would feel a lot worse than it is. And that's what it feels like right now. And that, you know, periods of low volatility like we had in 2020, 2021, markets didn't correct much. It was by the, you know, everything was by the dip, right? Got to buy the dip, BTFD. Um, and eventually, we said that what low volatility begets is high volatility. And here you are, high volatility. But again, this is the important part to where we want to make sure that we're not making and repeating mistakes that, we, that investors always do, which is ultimately to buy low and sell high. And this is why over time, investors tend to underperform markets because they do exactly the opposite of what they should do. Now, I'm not talking about not managing risk. I'm not talking about, you know, not, you know, using your stop losses and, and those type of things. But, you know, there is a point to where you reach this, I'm just going to sell everything mode, which typically tends to be near bottoms of markets. And that's really kind of the point of today's article on the website. And I've got a couple of charts to share with you this morning. So if you're watching our YouTube stream, um, you can actually see our charts. So um, if you're driving and listening to the radio show, uh, please continue to drive and listen to the radio show. I'll explain the charts for you <laughs> in detail. But uh, the first one is, is just looking at sentiment. Now, this is, you know, when we talk about sentiment, there's, there's different ways to talk about sentiment. One is, is how do we feel about the markets, right? I'm bullish or I'm bearish. The other is, is what am I doing in the markets? And that's a very different thing altogether, right? So what's the sentiment in terms of positioning? And, and it was interesting because we were talking last year a couple of times about how sentiment was bearish, but nobody was selling anything. It was like, oh, I'm, I'm bearish on the market, but allocations were remaining near all-time highs. So people were bearish on the markets, but they weren't willing to sell anything because they weren't convinced that the markets were going to go down. And that was a good choice back then. Now it is both I'm scared to death of the markets and I'm selling everything. And positioning is now extremely light. In fact, it's at some of the lowest levels that we've seen here in quite some time. And that's one of the things to, to, to remember is that when everybody gets offside in one direction – they tend to overcompensate and markets tend to do just the opposite. So when there's too many people 
you know, on one side of the boat, everybody's long stocks. That's generally when the markets give you a nice correction. And when everybody's, you know, oh, you know, has completely sold all their positions, that's when markets tend to rally. And, and, and again, this is why investors tend to get off sides of markets. The National Association of Investment Managers, um, they, they, this is a group of professionals that are surveyed and the number of bullish ones, right? So they, they look at how many people are bullish, how many people are bearish, and then what the net allocation is. The number of, of bullish advisors, right, or, or bullish managers is now at levels that are normally coincident with at least short to intermediate term bottoms. Now, are there, are there, are there lower levels that you can get to? Absolutely. But we're to that point to where we're, and again, this was from last week. This chart was from last week. So after yesterday's selling, I am sure that this, this positioning is even lower than it is now. So we're rapidly heading towards you know, levels normally associated with intermediate term bottoms and, 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 and intermediate term rallies. And, and so again, the, the point here is again to be consistent is I'm not suggesting that this market is about to go ripping off to a brand new high. I'm not saying that at all. But it is a function that people are so off sides right now that you typically get some type of reflexive action. The you know Another indicator that we look at is the American Association of Individual Investors. These are your retail investors. And the uh, Institute for Professional Managers, which is a view of the sentiment. Now, this is just how do they feel about the markets, right? This has nothing to do with, with positioning. This is how do you feel. So are you bullish on the markets or are you bearish on the markets, right? So we combine those two measures together. So now we have retail and professional investors into one composite index, and that index is at levels right now in terms of bearishness that is always consistent with at least a short to intermediate term low. Now, does that mean that the markets can't go lower? That's not what that means. You know, if you go back and, and look at these same indicators back in 2008, as an example, they would get to very low levels. You would have a very short-term reflexive rally of a very small amount. The markets would turn around and go lower again. And it kind of worked that process all the way through that 2008 period. So if we're indeed moving into that type of a bear market, sentiment can remain very negative over a period of time. But even during that period of negative sentiment, you do, you do get little reflexive rallies to rebalance risk into and to, and to readjust portfolios. And, and, and you think about this as kind of a, like a snowball, you know, kind of, or actually not a snowball, but a ball kind of bouncing down a hill is that it just doesn't roll down the hill, it bounces, right? So every time it bounces at a lower level, it's also rising to a lower level, but each one of those, those rallies kind of give you an, an opportunity to rebalance risk and, and reassess what you're doing in your portfolio. And that's really kind of the key metric here, which is to, uh, again, and, and the whole point of this article is not to overreact to what's happening in the market. Yes, it is, it is you know, it's as as uh, the old song goes, right? It's baby, it's cold outside. It's 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 bearish outside right now, <laughs> you know, no doubt about that. 
But this is also where, as investors, we tend to make a lot of mistakes. And, and, and that's the important thing here is to try to avoid those positions where we make mistakes. Because that's the one thing that, that impairs our ability to make money long term is we wind up selling bottoms, we wind up buying highs, and we do everything backwards. And again, the most difficult thing to do right now is to go into the market and try to buy something, right? You know, who wants to buy anything today? Right? I mean, it's just, it's terrible. But there's actually some opportunities out there. We talked about earlier this week, we bought a little bit of Verizon. We bought a little bit into our real estate holdings, you know, because they're really beaten up. And, and there's, there's some value opportunity there uh, to help create income for the portfolio because they pay big dividends. And they're also supportive in terms of valuations, you know, trading fairly cheaply. There's a lot of big companies right now that are starting to get much cheaper. The the PE on, you know, uh, on on the stock market is getting cheaper. Now it's not cheap yet by any stretch of the imagination, but valuations are coming down because prices are coming down, right? And earnings are still fairly strong. Now they're getting weaker, but they're still fairly fairly strong right now on a relative basis. So they're. You know, but this is that time, and I'm not saying you know go in and load up your portfolio today because we're at the bottom. We're not at the bottom yet, right? That's that's yet to come. But my point is, is that when it's time to buy things, you're not going to want to because it's going to be the worst possible psychological environment. It's going to feel a whole lot like it feels just right now, and you're going to go, I I I don't want to buy anything. I'm just going to wait. I'm going to wait for the markets to, to start rallying again, and then I'll buy in. Well, then the market will rally. It's like, okay, well, it's moved too much because when it rallies, it's going to go very quickly. Well, it's moved too much, so I'll wait for it to come back a little bit, and then I'll buy it. So then it starts to correct, and then you go, aha, well, now we're back. it's going to go back and retest lows, and it doesn't. And then the market runs up more, and you're like, well, okay, I'll get the next correction and so forth and so on until you wind up realizing that you missed you know, a big chunk of the bottom. And now you're starting to buy expensive again. That's the trap that investors inherently fall into. But, but this is the part where it gets very difficult separating out what's a value. What can I buy that's fundamentally cheap that will protect me and grow over the next five years? Because there's some great opportunities right now with companies that five years, if you could just buy them, shut your eyes and look at them in five years, you're going to make a lot of money. But it's really tough in this environment to make that commitment, right? <laughs> it's kind of like married at first sight. You're about to get married to somebody you've never met before. And you got to keep them for five years, by the way. All right, we'll be right back after the break. Uh, I want to wrap this up and talk about uh, a couple of things that are going on, some good examples of what's happening in the market, what's good values, what's not good values, and, and how to start separating out the difference. Talk about that coming back right after the break. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. How do the richest people of the world invest and protect their families? Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff's next virtual lunch and learn on the truth about life insurance will show you how to insure your income, minimize your taxes, and protect your real estate. Thursday, May 12th at noon. The most important insurance policy you'll ever own is the one you'll have when you die. Register now for the truth about life insurance lunch 
Lunch and Learn at realinvestmentadvice.com. The truth about life insurance with Ratliff and Rosso. Realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show. So this morning, a few companies out reporting earnings. Norwegian Cruise Lines, Hyatt Hotels, Warner Music Group, Peloton, Planet Fitness. And this is what we're talking about a second ago. And then uh, after, after the bell today, we've got Roblox, um, which is highly touted as the next kind of metaverse environment that we're going to have. Everybody will just be playing Roblox in the metaverse, I guess. Uh, Occidental Petroleum, Coinbase, uh, Rocket companies, the mortgage company, that would be an interesting one to really kind of see what's happening with actual mortgage refinancing applications and mortgage applications, wind resorts and electronic arts. Those are all coming after the bell today. So here, here's the, but as I talked about for the break, I know we were talking about this idea of, of looking to buy value, right? Trying to buy something that today is really beat up but has a lot of fundamental value to it and has a positioning in the markets that is, is going to inure to your benefit over the next five years. And, and this, is, this is how we should always invest, but we kind of forgot these ideas back in 2020, right? With free money and a, and a Robinhood trading app, we were just buying anything that would potentially go up. And the idea then was to just buy everything that had the biggest short float on it and we could get really big gains right if we could force the shorts to cover you know these stocks would go up you know 30 40 50 percent or more of course this is what made kathy wood of arc arc funds famous uh, of course she was buying a lot of these innovation companies right these companies are going to innovate the world and it's interesting because you know i'm i, I love innovation right I, I love technology i think it's cool and what's interesting to me is that technology is supposed to make things more cost effective, right? And let's just talk about Uber for a second, because it's just a good example of a problem that exists with these companies. Now, if I'm going to buy a company, I want to buy a company that makes money. If I'm going to buy a company, so let's go back to our premise, right? We're going to buy some companies today. I'm not, and, and by the way, just hold up right there for a second. I'm not saying buy anything today, right? But let's just assume for, for the sake of our example, we're going to buy some stuff today that's beaten up and we're not going to look at it for five years. So what type of companies do we want to buy? Do we want to buy companies that make money or buy companies that lose money? Right? Well, it's a, now when I say it that way, you go, well, pfft, obviously I want to buy a company that makes money because I want them to be around in five years. That's not hard. But what we get trapped into is buying a lot of stocks that don't make money on the hopes that eventually they'll make money. And, and Uber's a good example of this. Uber's been around now for quite a while. I mean, we were talking about Uber when it first came out, you know, years ago. Talking about this ride-sharing company that was going to, you know, displace taxis and limos and, and all this type of thing. And, you know... It's it's a fair statement. They've done a they've done a tremendous job. Uber is now ubiquitous with taxis, right? I mean, you say you used to late when you get to the airport, you'd walk out and say, "I'll go get a taxi," right? Now you just walk out and say, "I'm going to get an Uber," and you don't know whether it's and it might be a Lyft, but you just everybody calls it an Uber. It's kind of like 
uh, online meetings are now Zoom meetings, right? It doesn't matter if you're using Teams or Skype or whatever. We just go, hey, you're going to do a Zoom? Yeah, we're going to do a Zoom. Let's go Zoom together, right? That's, that's just the way it is. But, you know, here's a company that years later is still burning, you know, $300 billion and they have a negative $6 billion in income. I mean, how, how, how is it that you're not making money? At this point, I mean, people just I mean, you, you don't have a true, you know, this, you know, this massive network of, of, you know, stuff that you've got to support. I mean, these people are contractors for the most part, driving their own vehicles and you've got technology, but you're still you're just this massive loss of income every year. Right. So that's not I mean, it sounds like a great idea, but this is the funny thing about innovation that not everything that we innovate is profitable. <clears throat> Excuse me. During the uh, during the melt uh, during the the economic shutdown, right? We uh, and the COVID pandemic. We're all going to do online doctoring now, right? So Teladoc, another good example, took off. This stock went public and you know went to over three hundred dollars a share at one point, and is now back down to thirty bucks a share. It's lost about 90% of its value. But here's another company, right? I mean, you have the tail at your back, right? You're going to get all these doctors. Everybody's going to be online. And you've got a negative income of $6.9 billion, right? Haven't turned a profit in one year yet. You know, negative earnings per share. Sales are growing. But the more sales grow, the more red you get. We'll talk about today's... Obvious one. Peloton announced earnings this morning. <laughs> CEO calling the company thinly capitalized. No kidding. But, you know, here's a company that's going to open down. I don't know how much this morning. It's it's currently it's going to be down a lot. But here's a stock that was trading at $160, $170 a share. It's now down to $14. It'll be below that this morning. It'll be below 10 this morning. But it's a company that sells bicycles, right? And so this was an idea that, you know, during the pandemic, everybody's going to work out at home. You can't go to the gym, so everybody's going to order bikes, and they're going to sit on their, their bikes at home, and they're going to bike and watch, you know, classes on television. Sounds like a great idea, right? Look, when I was 20 and 21, I was building health and fitness facilities for people to go to work out at. And, you know, even then, people were buying bicycles at home and they were going to buy this bike and they were going to ride their bike at home and they were going to exercise at home and they became standing coat racks for the most part. So the idea was here's this bike company that's going to you know make bikes we're going to put them in every home and everybody's going to ride their bikes at home and look my neighbors down the street so where I live I had a neighbor down the street they bought two of them and they were for sale on Facebook about three months later. Caption, never been used. Brand new bikes. They've just been sitting in the living room for three months. But, but this, is, this is the problem. Of course, now the realization that's come around is like, man, nobody wants to bike at home. <laughs> you know? um, and you can't support the type of valuations. Yes, they're going to sell bikes. 
yeah, you know, there, there's people that are going to buy bikes and that are going to bike at home. And I work out, you know, we, you know, my wife and I have a gym at our house. We work out every day of the week and, you know, that's our thing, right? And so there, there are certainly people that will do that. And I'm not saying that Peloton will never sell a bike, but you can't justify paying $300 a share for a company that is just burning capital hand over fist. And, and these are companies, and I'm not, taking, I'm not picking on any of these companies in particular, but my point is, is that these aren't value companies. These aren't companies that in five years are still going to be here. Amazon is a company that will be here in five years. Stock's correcting a huge overvaluation. Ford PE is still 41 times earnings. Price to sales are still 2.3, so it's still a little bit expensive, but it's getting cheaper fast. If Amazon gets below two times price to sales and starts dropping back into you know, a, a 20 to 25 PE, this is a company you want to buy. You're not near a bottom yet. I probably suspect that you're going to find a bottom on Amazon somewhere between 1500 and, and 2000 somewhere in there. We'll see where the stock starts to base. It's not basing yet by any stretch of the imagination. But that's the difference, right? And, and, I, and I'm just using Amazon as an example. There's a lot of companies out there in the, the quote-unquote technology space that have innovated and have cemented themselves into a position to where they are not only a household name, but you know, they can actually grow over the long term. Microsoft, you know, those type of companies. These, these are the things that, you know, now is going to become a much more challenging time, but a much more opportunistic time to start looking for companies that can actually grow earnings over time. We have, we have a, a portfolio that we run called an earnings certain model. And this is a group of companies that steadily grow earnings. They're not exciting companies. <laughs> They're not exciting at all. They're not innovating the world. They're not doing anything out of the ordinary, but they just crank out earnings every single year and they pay a dividend. Those are the type of companies that if you can buy them cheap enough, there's some great opportunity there. And that value is coming to you, right? And, and so going back to our, our, our conversation, this whole show this morning about capitulation is not to allow the fear of what's happening in the market short term to deter you from investing. You do want to invest, but you've also got to pick out the winners from the losers. And if the first thing that you look at is a company that hasn't generated a positive EPS in five years might want to think about something else, at least in this market for right now. Now, will there be an opportunity to speculate on these companies at some point in the future? Yeah, but you need a positively momentum-driven market at that point where we're back talking about FOMO. <laughs> and when you get back into FOMO and TINA and you know BTFD and all these acronyms, yeah, then you can start buying these more speculative companies as, as, a, you know, as, as, a, as a bet. Right. But in the middle of a bear market, you buy value, you buy quality, you buy fundamentals. Those will help protect you. Does it mean you're going to make money right now? No. Could they go down some more? Yes. But in five years, you'll probably be very happy of what you bought. Wraps up the show for the day. 
get by the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. Our report is out. Uh, sentiment is so bearish, it's now bullish. That's on the website now, realinvestmentadvice.com. Check out Simplevisor, of course. That's our research platform. It's it's has all of our research tools on it for you, so you can do your own research. That's simplevisor.com. If you have any questions or comments, just simply send us an email. Always happy to help you out any way that we can. That is realinvestmentadvice.com. Stick around. Three minutes on Markets and Money will be coming up here shortly. And, of course, as always, check out our latest events and more. We've always got events coming up from financial planning to investing, insurance, et cetera, all on the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. Have a great day.